I spent the last week preaching at a, at a camp all week, and so uh, for the first time in a long time, I missed the week of vacation Bible school, and uh, I know it was a fantastic week, and from uh, the videos, and, and from, for a bunch of kids who weren't so excited to uh, sing, they sure looked like they were having a pretty good time, didn't they? And uh, so I know it was an exciting week. I want to say thank you. I see some of the t-shirts out there, and I know many of you. Uh, served this week at vac- this last week at Vacation Bible School. I just want to say thanks for uh, giving your time and effort. And I, kn- I know uh, as I was heading out to camp, you know, I'm driving. It was about four and a half hours to this camp, and I'm driving out, and I'm thinking along the way. Now, why is it that I'm doing this again? You know, what? why did I think this would be okay and a good idea? And then the first night when we got to bed at about 1.30 in the morning, I thought, now why is it that I thought this was going to be a good idea again? And, and you know, but as the week goes on and as students uh, for the first time say yes to following Jesus, as students say uh, yes to uh, uh, maybe pursuing a, a full-time ministry as a vocation, you know, uh, some of those things happen. And you think, oh, well, that's why all of this is okay. You know, this is why, you know, I'm doing this. And, and so I'm excited to hear the same sorts of stories, the same kinds of stories from Vacation Bible School where seeds are planted and lives are changed and families will be transformed uh, because of your service and because of your willingness to uh, share the love of Jesus and just allowing him to uh, be at work in in their lives. And so thanks so much for doing that. I I absolutely appreciate it and just know that... uh that it, it's, it's worth it. You know, if you, if you asked yourself that question uh, going home one day this week with, uh, you know, when your crew was a little uh, more excited or whatever than usual, and uh, just know that it's worth it. So we appreciate that very much. It's summertime, and, and I love summertime. I love some of the sports in the summer. You know, this week uh, I was at camp, and I got a few updates from my daughter. My daughters were watching the... the uh, college, women's college world series. And, uh, you know, I had told my oldest daughter, well, Oklahoma's going to win this thing there. You know, it's not even close. And then they didn't. And so I got several text messages pointing out how wrong I was. And, and so that seems appropriate. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about these high level of activity. The men's college world series is going on right now. Tremendous athletes competing in these games. You know, you can go out and you can watch the Kansas city Royals play and, uh, uh, whoever they're playing have tremendous athletes on their team, and they're they're competing, and so that's fun to watch. And in in just a few weeks, they'll maybe be the pinnacle of all uh, competitions in the United States that will take place all year. And that, of course, is the hot dog eating contest at Coney Island on July 4th. I read just a little bit. There's this guy by the name of Joey Chestnut. And Joey Chestnut has won 11 of the last 12 uh, com- hot dog competitive eating contests. I'm not sure how you say that exactly. 11 titles every year since 2007, but for 2015. Yeah, we have a picture. I thought about showing the video of uh, his last victory, and it was just a little much. But I think if you look at this picture... It screams athlete, doesn't it? I mean, it, a competitor, you know, he's digging deep. Uh, he ate 74 hot dogs in 10 minutes. I'm not great at math, but that's about seven hot dogs a minute. Uh, 
That's uh, just tremendous, isn't it? I mean, it leads you to the obvious question, right? I mean, if, you're, if your goal is to eat as many hot dogs as you can, there, there still has to be a point where you say, uh, when is enough enough, right? I mean, when, when do you stop? And here, here's a little uh, advice from Joey Chestnut on how to prepare for a hot dog eating contest. This is what he says he does. I do a practice contest and then recovery is important. No kidding. <laughs> as soon as I can start eating, I try to eat vegetables, fiber, We won't go any further than that. And then once I feel like the food has moved and digested, I'll have one good day of protein, whether it's fish or turkey, maybe chicken. And then I go back and do a fast where it's all liquid. It's a cleanse pretty much, a two-day cleanse. And then when I'm at the weight I want and I know I'm empty, then I can do another practice. That's the intense training regimen of Joey Chestnut as he prepares to eat and maybe break his own record this year of 74 hot dogs in 10 minutes. It, it really does beg the question of when is enough enough? And it's a question that we, we ask in all sorts of different areas of our life, isn't it? And maybe uh, as uh, Americans especially, maybe just as people, uh, we're not very good uh, at answering that question, when is enough Enough, And it's a question that has been asked for thousands and thousands of years, probably since the beginning of time, people have been asking, you know, how come I can't seem to get enough? How come I don't seem to be able to be satisfied, to be content? It was a question that the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, was asking of the Apostle Paul. And uh, Paul's going to give us some advice in, in the fact that we can... Uh, be content in our lives. I think there are two steps that Paul offers as we take a look at the middle of chapter 7 in the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll work our way through verse, from verse 17 through verse 24 this morning as we consider these two steps to being content. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 17. If you grabbed one of our bulletins on the way in, there's an outline on the back of that bulletin, a page number at the top of that outline. We'll take you quickly to chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians. And one of the Bibles you can find in the pew around you. Uh, If you're using your device to access Scripture this morning, that's awesome. I'd encourage you to download the Wallula Christian Church app. Just go to the App Store and uh, search Wallula and download the Wallula Christian Church app. Then uh, all of that information will be available to you on the app. It's a great way to stay connected to Wallula and all the stuff coming up at Wallula as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 17 through 24, we're taking a look at at two steps that Paul gives us uh, in order to live a a more contented life. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, this is what God's Word says. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God." 
Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called, where you a bondservant when called, do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. All right, a couple of steps here that Paul offers uh, to us uh, to live uh, a more contented life. Uh, the f- step number one is to obey his commands. Obey uh, his commands. Keep his commands. Verse 17 says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all of the churches. All right, an interesting verse here, verse 17. There's a few words that I think we need to unpack, and and some of them are easier for us to understand. Some of them we enjoy uh, more than others. Uh, The first word I want to take a look at is, is, you know, Paul says, I have this rule for all of the churches. And we hear that that idea of a rule or commands, and and, and that sort of bugs us once in a while. I I used to uh, do this activity with students, uh, maybe we were talking about uh, the Ten Commandments or just any of God's commandments. And, and I used to uh, do an activity where I'd invite students up and, and challenge them to move across a room, maybe a room this size, and say, okay, the goal is just to get from one, in, one wall to the other wall, and here's the deal. You, you can only step on, you know, eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper. And so I'd ask them, this is the deal. You can choose how many how many uh, rules you want in the game. And, and so they would say, well, maybe I want two rules or three rules, or, or somebody else might say, well, I want ten rules. And, and the deal in this activity was is that the, the sheets of paper were the rules. And so whatever they asked, you know, if they asked for two rules, they got two sheets of paper and had to figure out how to try to get from one wall to the other by only stepping on two sheets of eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper. Pretty difficult to do. The, obviously, the more rules you asked for, the easier it was to make it your way across uh, from one wall to the other. And, and sometimes that's how we approach and think about rules, uh, laws, commands even from God in our lives. We think, well, the fewer commands, the better, uh, the more simple it is. And there's, there's a certain part of that idea that is very true. And the opposite uh, can be true as well because sometimes we think well the more rules there are the heavier the burden we talk about it in church as legalism right and we say legalism is bad and more rules are bad and there's absolutely truth in that but there's also truth in the fact that those rules are designed sometimes for our protection to keep us safe and if you think about a silly game like, you know, you played lava as a kid, you can't step on the ground because it's hot lava. If that rule applies to the illustration we just shared, well, those rules keep you safe moving from one side of the room to the other. And there's certainly truth in that as well as we read uh, God's commands and, 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 and his word and, and the, the idea and, and the 
The truth behind those is often to protect us and to keep us safe. We, we have difficulty with that idea of rules, though. Uh, and, and sometimes we have difficulty with that because when we read God's commands, we, uh, we believe, well, they're, they're sort of only for me. I'm the only one trying to do this. I'm the only one who, who hears this. I'm the only one who has this burden. And Paul says, this is my rule for who? For all the churches, Right? All of us who are called into relationship with God, you know, desire and and he desires for us to live under uh, his commands and to obey his commands. Let's unpack this a little further, though, because he talks about this idea of, uh, you know, to lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. I spent a week at camp and and at at camp I I had the opportunity to meet eight different college students who were serving there this week at at camp and that was kind of a a lot of fun and and talking to the college students and just having conversations with the sorts of things that they are concerned with today and and what's going on in their lives and it's just uh, it's interesting to hear those kinds of things and and it got me thinking about sort of the differences between you know my son has just graduated from high school and it got me thinking about the differences between, you know, moving from high school in the classroom to a classroom in college. And, and one of the most simple and basic differences that I encountered when I, when I graduated from high school and I left high school to go to college was the idea of assigned seats. In high school, we often had assigned seats in the classroom. Maybe it was alphabetical, however the teacher decided to do it, and you came in and you sat in the same place every day, and uh, that seat was assigned to you. And it seemed like sort of a burden. You go to college and often there were not assigned seats. You just go in and you picked a seat and you sat down and you, you listened hopefully to what the professor had to say and you took notes and you studied and you did that stuff and there was so much freedom. And you know what I discovered, though, as I started college many years ago, and you didn't have assigned seats anymore, is that you found yourself going into that classroom and sitting in the same place every day anyway. You know, and that's sort of true. Like, I I pick on a few of you because you don't move seats in this room ever. You know, this is my spot, this is where I'm, and, and so it's sort of, if you, if you change a row, it kind of shocks me, and that's dangerous when it's a guy like me, I could have a problem. And so, you know, we, we tend to sort of sit in that same seat, and so sometimes what's a burden is just sort of what's natural for us anyway. There's, there's actually lots of studies, this is completely free, that if you want to learn and retain the most information, you should sit in the same area of the classroom or, or the room or the sanctuary. It's probably beneficial actually, if you, if you th- think you might want to retain something that's said or taught here, to sit in the same area. You, you tend to remember more that way. Uh, and so some of the things are just sort of a little bit more natural to us. This word assigned here in the Greek literally means to divide or separate. There's certainly the, uh, a component of God's sovereignty at play here, all right? And I don't want to diminish that completely. But the idea is not so much that God has uh, pigeonholed you or, or forced you or that's the only plan available for your life. There's, there's the idea of, of being divided or separated or even uh, we think about cards. This, this illustration goes too far the other way probably, but cards being dealt And that dealing out is the same sort of idea here with the word assigned. 
Now, there's a combination of those ideas because you think of cards being dealt as completely random, and, uh, and, and that's not what's going on here either. But uh, uh, God has a plan for us. I'm not sure, as, and as we go on, we're going to realize that it's not locked in and, and complete and, and finished, and that's the only option for us in life. The Lord's assigned, He's divided us, He has us placed in, in uh, certain places and in situations in our life. Uh, let that person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is maybe the other side of the coin, or, or we take that conversation a little further perhaps. Uh, the calling, and as you think about that idea and you read that word in the New Testament, uh, it can mean a couple of different things. But what it means here and uh, in other places is that this, this calling to a relationship with Jesus, if you go back to the first chapter of the book of, of 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 9, uh, Paul says this. Uh, we'll, we'll pick it up and, uh, well, let's, let's just look at verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so often in the New Testament, when we're reading this word of, of being called, we're talking about beginning a relationship with Jesus. And, and that's where we're at here. And we're going to go on and say and realize that there are lots of different situations and lots of different positions from which we may be called into relationship with Jesus. Where we are, what station in life, what age we are in life, where our relationship is in, in life at that moment, we've been called into relationship, maybe at varying stages of all of those things, uh, but that calling isn't so much, you know, the job we have at the moment. That calling isn't so much uh, whether or not we're married. You know, we just discussed that last week. And, and uh, whether we're single or married when we begin a relationship with Jesus. That, that calling isn't so much, doesn't have anything to do with our ethnicity or our nationality or, or where we live when we're called into relationship with Jesus. Uh, that assignment and that calling, while sometimes, sometimes they go together, aren't necessarily, don't necessarily always uh, rely one on the other or don't have to remain in that same uh, place altogether. We're, we're called into relationship with Jesus. Verse 18 goes on to say, Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. We're going to deal with a couple of stories, a couple of illustrations that Paul uses here. And we have to be careful, because these illustrations that Paul uses are not necessarily the illustrations that we would choose if we were writing a letter and answering the same question to a church today. It's easy to get lost in the conversation here a little bit because we, we don't 
we don't think about uh, circumcision certainly in the same terms that, that Gentiles and Jews in the first century might think of circumcision. When they heard this word, they would think of this, this physical mark that sets Jews apart uh, from non-Jews. And that's probably what they're talking about. Uh, that is what they're talking about here. But that's probably their thought process. And it's easy for us to kind of get lost in this, this conversation. We're, uh, Paul's talking about, about Jews and Gentiles, and, and so ethnicity and kind of that station, that area of our, of our life. It says, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision, which seems ridiculous to us and, and uh, not a very good idea, but evidently there were folks in the first century who were seeking to do this in order to, well, fit in in the business world and, and in different, uh, different areas of, of Roman life. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. Paul writes a letter to the church in Galatia where he deals with the same topic. And the church in Galatia had this group of folks who were influencing that church. Uh, you know, Bible scholars talk about them as Judaizers, that they were trying to lay over all the laws of, of the Old Testament and saying this is really important. In order to follow Jesus, you have to keep all of these rules. You have to keep every one of these laws. And, and one of the, the biggest, and, and uh, maybe most difficult for uh, new believers uh, to follow who were not Jewish was this idea of circumcision. And so that was a, a difficult topic for the church in, in Galatia. That doesn't seem to be such a big deal for the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth, as we've already unpacked in this last year and we'll look further, they had all sorts of issues, right? They had all kinds of problems. This simply wasn't one of the, the bigger ones. It wasn't one of the bigger issues they were dealing with. And I think Paul is talking about, uh, you know, where we are in, in maybe our ethnicity, maybe where we are in our nationality. If we were thinking about this in, ter in our, our terms today, I think, you know, maybe if you put this into the realm of politics, or even nationalism, and we, we sometimes place, you know, being American, perhaps, above the idea of following Jesus, and Paul is simply saying, well, you can't do that. It doesn't matter. If you were, if you were, um, uh, if you're American when you're called to follow after Jesus, or you're, you know, Russian when you're called to follow after Jesus, it simply makes no difference, and your relationship with Jesus must be the priority. And, and I really think that's the heart of what's being talked about here in, in verse 18 and 19. He, he goes on uh, to say, for neither in verse 19, circumcision counts for anything or uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. All right, which is an interesting turn of phrase here, because if you go back to Genesis uh, chapter 17, verses 1 through 14, you can read about how, you know, the covenant of God with his people in the Old Testament was... was marked by circumcision, and certainly circumcision was a commandment of God. And so, so what's Paul talking about here? We could have a long conversation, I suppose, about how, you know, the cross makes uh, the Old Testament laws uh, like dietary restrictions and, and circumcision and sacrifices uh, irrelevant to followers of Jesus today, and that's, that's largely true. Those sort of have passed away because of the cross, but the bigger issue here is that there's still a law in Christ. 
that there's still commands that Jesus expects us to follow. The, the simplest way to think about this is, is the two greatest commands that Jesus gave us, to love God and to love others. And I suppose if you're a scholar who says, well, these dietary restrictions and these uh, you know, sacrifices and some of those Old Testament laws have passed away, but the moral law continues, then the moral law is contained in those two greatest commands, to love God with all that you are and to love others before yourself. And largely, those are the commands that we have to concern ourselves with here in verse 19, to love God and to love others no matter our circumstances. Right? No matter the job we have, no matter our relationship status, no matter our nationality, no matter any of those things that we might say, this is who makes me who I am, you know, loving God and loving Jesus becomes more important than any of those things, which really brings us to step number two, which is never lose sight of your true identity. Never lose sight of your true identity. It's so easy for us. And as we continue with this, this next illustration that Paul uses, man, it's easy to get lost in this conversation as well. Uh, I was at camp, and, and one day we went to the beach. Uh, this camp was called Lakeview, and it overlooks a lake. It's really a pretty setting. And, and on the other side of the lake was a beach. And so one day we took kids to the other side of the lake by van, church van, bus, and we bussed them to the beach, and they, you know, hung out on the beach and at the lake and they had canoes and whatnot and did that whole sort of thing. And then a couple of the boys said, well, can we canoe back to camp? So can we canoe across the lake back to camp? And I had already returned back to camp because I'm old. And, uh, and so these boys were having a conversation with the camp dean and a couple other adults there. And, and they decided that would be okay, that they could canoe back across the, the camp. And by the time uh, these other guys got back to camp, the adults, you know, they, one started to pace. And, and I asked, what's going on? Why? He looks worried. And, and uh, one, of the, one of the guys said, well, he let these boys canoe across the lake, and they're not here yet. And we think they should have been here by now. And so I start to ask some questions, like, um, well, they had life jackets, right? Yeah, they had life jackets. Well, that's good. That's a bonus. Uh, I said, well, can you see there's a, this camp has a huge A-frame chapel and sticks up above everything else. I said, can you see the chapel from the beach? And as you canoe across, he said, well, you can, but it's easy to lose sight of. It's hard to find right away. And I thought, well, man, that, that could cause a problem for a couple of inexperienced guys trying to canoe across the lake and maybe not having this, this destination. It's easy to lose sight of who we really are and all sorts of things play into that. And, and Paul says it like this, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. 
you were bought with a price, do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each one was called, there let him remain with God. We could have long conversations about, about slavery. We can get lost in this conversation here. You know, some people would, would point to the scripture and say, see, you know, Paul is saying that, that slavery is all right. And that's why the New Testament is irrelevant for us today, except that's not what Paul says. He sort of really, he says the opposite, doesn't he? He says, if you are a slave, if you are a slave, don't be more concerned about that than what? Than your relationship where you were called, which you were called into while a slave with Jesus. So Jesus is more important, even if you find yourself in kind of uh, this really bad situation, this, this horrendous spot in life. And, and we can't probably think of a more horrendous spot to be in than as a slave to someone else. We could talk about how slavery maybe in the first century was different than in the 19th century, but it's all for naught. Uh, because Paul is saying, even if you find yourself in the worst situation you can think of, Focus on relationship with Jesus. Make it the most important thing in your life. Verse 21 says, but if you can gain your freedom and avail yourself of the opportunity, then avail yourself of the opportunity. He, he's not uh, precluding us from you know, taking a promotion at work or advancing in, in you know, our vocation or, or changing you know, our relationship status if that's uh, something that uh, he leads into our life. He's not saying that your station in life can or shouldn't ever change. He's saying no matter your station in life, no matter your circumstances in life, this relationship with Jesus is more important because surely it cost something. You were bought at a price. You know, just write down, you're familiar with these, this section of scripture anyway, write down uh, Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11 that Jesus, while he is equal with God, while he is God, while he was in paradise, he emptied himself. He gave that all up to enter this world, to be born as an infant, to teach and to minister and ultimately to die on a cross and to be buried in a tomb and to raise from the, from the dead on that third day. There's a price for our freedom. You were bought at a price. Do not become bond servants of men. Don't place yourself or make yourself subject to what the world says is real advancement and really matters, but focus instead on that relationship with Jesus. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Stay in that relationship with Jesus. There's a men's competition on Coney Island uh, for hot dog eating, and uh, there's a women's competition. And uh, just like the men's competition has been dominated by one uh, contestant, so has the women's competition by Mickey Sudo, who has won the last three contests. And uh, last year, uh, in 2017, she ate a record a best, a career best, it says. This is a career evidence of 41 hot dogs in 10 minutes. In 2018, she ate only uh, 34 hot dogs, but still finished in first. This is what she said about that decision. 
I really wasn't looking to beat my personal best or even a record. A win is a win, uh, she told reporters after the event. Today, everybody's numbers were a little bit lower, maybe because of the heat. I just found that interesting. Uh, I don't know what it was. Uh, when I saw that I had a considerable lead at one point by eight hot dogs, I said, it's fine, I'm done. Uh, I think that's probably a wise decision, right? To be content with the mere uh, 34 hot dogs in 10 minutes sounds like a pretty good decision to me. We can live a more contented life when we pay attention to Jesus first, no matter what surrounds us. 